1: You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast.
0: Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. And it's Jacob here the Ginger bow hunter. Uh, back on, Andrew was not able to join us tonight, uh, kind of like what happened last week with me. Um, but anyways, I've got Luke Askew on the line here. He's a listener of the show and just had some awesome success, dude, killing a slammer Georgia buck. So, uh, Luke, I've got to ask, dude, how are you doing after taking that big boy?
2: I'm doing pretty good
1: <laughs>
0: it's gonna be hard to top that one. Oh, dude yeah oh for sure just the mass on that deer is ridiculous and anybody that hasn't already seen uh, by the time you're listening to this episode hopefully we've had the uh, Facebook and Instagram post posted so hopefully you'll be able to go and, and look at some photos of the deer it's very very impressive and we're gonna kind of dive into um, you know kind of what what all kind of happened with this buck but also kind of you know how did the podcast play a factor uh, which kind of goes into a question I want to ask you Luke which is, uh, first off, how long have you been a listener of the show?
2: Probably about four months.
0: Oh, wow. So, four months been listening to the show. What got you to start listening to the show, then?
2: Well, actually, I was at work one day, and I was on Facebook, and it popped up. I'm sure you've heard of this guy. His name's Dan Infault. Oh, yeah. And he's a beast style hunter from, I think, up in, like, Michigan or somewhere up in there. I'm not exactly positive on that, but i just started listening to all his podcasts and then i'm like well he's not from georgia i need something that's relatable to that and i just typed in like bed hunting for georgia and uh little, little glenn solomon's podcast popped up on y'all's uh website so i listened to his podcast and that's when it all started there i mean i started listening to everything i could get my hands on then
0: awesome yeah dude um it- One thing that we'll talk about today is kind of how some of these episodes have related to kind of the area of the state that you hunt in and kind of have experience in, and kind of how certain things from different topics of the podcast uh, have played a factor for you. Um, That being said, since you've only been listening to the show for about four months now and kind of went down the rabbit hole, it sounds like listening to the show, applying different tactics, and going out and, you know, killing your biggest buck ever. let me ask after listening to Glenn's episode, uh, cause we actually just had an episode, uh, on Monday. Uh, again, this, this would, it's going to be released tomorrow or Thursday, but on Monday we released an episode with a highlight reel. Uh, some of it actually had Glenn Solomon in it. So let me yeah. ask, when you listened to his episode, the very first time, what kind of opened your eyes to, Hey, there's a different way I can kind of go about chasing some of these bigger deer. Probably
2: the biggest thing was, is, uh, if you walk up on a hardwood bottom and say that it's pretty, like, oh, that's a good place to hunt. Uh, Deer don't really look at it that way. They kind of look at it as, I don't want to walk out there in daylight. And probably for like 30 years, I was like, oh, that's a nice hardwood bottom. I'll go down there and hunt. And Whenever he said uh, you need to turn around and start looking away from those areas, I was like, man, that's eye-opening right there. I told one of my buddies, I'm like, I can't believe I've been hunting like that for like 30 years (laughs)
0: Well, sometimes it just takes that one person to bring it up and you're like, oh, that makes way more sense now. Thank you. Oh
2: yeah. I mean, if I was trying to stay alive, I wouldn't walk across that either.
0: No, of course, especially, you know, with us in the Southeast, uh, whether you hunt public land, private land, if you're hunting private land, whether you're hunting, you know, a family farm, lease, a club, you know, a lot of us deal with a lot of hunting pressure. Uh, and absolutely. I think a lot of us get sucked into, oh man, it's a pretty hardwood bottom. Let me get down there and look at it. And, uh, uh, magically, you know, a deer, you're just going to hopefully have one appear out of nowhere behind. A tree uh, in yeah. that wide open bottom. Um, yes. Yeah. So,
2: I'm uh, sorry to cut you off, and yeah, everybody's I mean, you'll get lucky during the rut. I feel like doing that, but I mean, I was trying to get good at killing deer when during the rut, out of the rut, and after the rut, and everything else. So.
0: Oh yeah, well, you know, kind of go uh back a little bit you know so glenn's episode was the first episode you ever listened to it was was impactful for you at that time what are a few other episodes that uh you've listened to that really kind of hit home for you You're like okay i can actually apply this down here in georgia Uh, that might have actually even been a factor for uh that buck uh
2: once i looked up glenn i think i looked up another guy named his name is tim knight he's from georgia too i think around dublin and I was listening to a bunch of his, or just that one podcast of his, I think. And he got talking about going hunt tickets, just like Glenn was talking about. And he paid a lot more attention to tracks than most people I'll ever, I've ever listened to. I think he's he talked about he paid a lot of attention to tracks. And that's when I started paying attention to tracks. Like, I'm, I mean, yeah, you can look at rubs and scrapes and stuff. But, I mean, if you see a track in the road, he was there between whenever you found it and the last time it rained. So you got a better idea of... When he's when he came through the area, and I've applied that several times, putting cameras out on the WMA. I mean, I just rode in, I just rode the roads real slow and find a track on the side of the road and park the truck and walk the trail till I find a good spot and put the camera out.
0: Yeah, and that's something that uh, definitely like guys like Tim Knight. We've had a you know, uh, there's a few of those guys kind of that generation who put a lot of emphasis in tracks, Um, and I'd say that's probably one of the. You know, it's probably one of the most simple signs uh, that, you know, a deer has been there, but when it's very overlooked uh, for a lot of people is just looking for those tracks, especially those big tracks telling you that there's a big buck in the area or just a heavy body deer, at least. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, using, yeah, using those tracks, man, especially on these little, you know, working on logging roads, these little side roads, stuff like that, and kind of figuring out how deer are coming to and from an area. Uh, especially after a rain, man, that absolutely can get you fired up. At least gets me fired up if I find some big tracks crossing a, a small roadway or something uh, just post uh, you know, a storm front. Um, so Tim Knight was very impactful for you. Let me ask. So Tim Knight, we've had a lot of listener success stories come from his episode lately, both on not only you know, he, he does a lot about calling. Uh, you know, he, he's a big proponent on rattling, um, yeah. but also he's a big proponent on getting very creative on how you enter and exit the woods to hunt a spot that may or may not be overlooked, but you're coming in from a different way that deer aren't used to, you know, the hunting pressure coming from. And he has a lot of success doing that. Was there anything else that he kind of talked about that you were like, Hey, maybe I'll to try to, you know, start applying this on, you know, my lease or, uh, or anything else like that? Uh, the
2: calling, I'd actually grunted. I've been using a grunt call for probably six or eight years. Basically every time I sat in the deer stand I just changed up the different calls I used throughout the year, but whenever he brought up rattling and he's a big turkey hunter and he says you don't go in the woods without a turkey call when you go turkey hunts. So why would you go in the woods without a deer call when you go deer hunt? So uh, my dad's a big squirrel hunter and he finds sheds and stuff from time to time, like big ones. So I tried to get one that's pretty good size. And pretty good sized sheds and I use those every time I went hunting this year and which I've only been hunting eight times, so I mean one out of eight times is pretty good if you ask me. Yeah. I I actually rattled that deer up. I think I rattled him up. It seemed like I rattled him up. But uh, I'll tell you more about that whenever we get into actually how I killed him.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm excited, dude. Because again, I don't really know any of the details. I just saw the email come across, and Andrew sent it over to me. and uh, We just text back and forth very briefly, but I want kind of keep. I kind of wanted to keep it all kind of hush hush until we get on here so we can get and get some real reactions. Uh, Cause I'm excited to kind of hear about what took place and how you were able to capitalize on that buck. Um, but I've got to ask before we get to that is, has there been any other episodes that were impactful for you on this kind of ha- the style of hunting that you try to do down there in Georgia? Something that was relatable that you're like, Hey, I can start paying attention to this and maybe start having a little bit more success, getting a little bit closer to these bucks.
2: Uh, probably Josh driver was an, in- the, one of the biggest ones of me being able to find this area that I killed this deer in.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So well, what about Josh's episode kind of hit home for you and kind of, how was that a factor?
2: Oh, one of the biggest things he just, he goes into detail talking about the, the areas that he finds the big bucks that he kills and like the diversity and the isolation and you need water and food and the edges and where I'm at. There's, I mean, pine thickets everywhere and some people have hardwood. so mo- mainly at uh, anybody's property edge you're gonna have edges and the place i killed this deer there four edges coming together there's food there's water and there's four edges all coming together with all that diversity i'm like it's got to be a good spot i mean josh is doing it every year up there where he hunts in nashville so
0: Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's really interesting. And that was something that, let me ask before you kind of listen to that episode, was that something that you ever kind of focused on was kind of like the diversity aspect of like edges?
2: I would hunted edges before, but I never really focused on like the diversity of them. I never really put those two together. I mean, I'd hunted edges that were like two edges that came together, but I never really looked for three and four and five edges that all come together in one spot
0: now again since you've only been listening to the show for four months which is awesome dude i mean again just be listening to the show for that short period of time but having success like this uh just kind of learning stuff you know in a very quick manner is awesome and that's one thing that gets us really excited about producing the show and and putting content out there is that people like yourself going out having awesome success from one of the guests coming on the show and kind of sharing that knowledge with uh, with us um but with Josh Driver's episode, it has been very impactful. By far, the most amount of listener success stories has come from that episode versus any other episode. And the episode I think we're talking about is episode 141, the first time we had Josh on, where he really dives really deep into like the diversity, the isolation, uh, and everything needed uh, to really hold a buck in his core area. Um, yeah. And he, it's, he's a fascinating guy. He's had a lot of success doing this. And it's very applicable down here in the southeast especially in areas kind of similar where you're at but also where i'm at where you have a lot of uh, timber company coming in and they're cutting a lot of properties you know you you're, you have a large mix of uh, pines with small probably hardwood smz bottoms uh, and that's normally about it i don't know that's how it is here every now and then you might find some private land with some uh, old growth hardwoods on it, but it's very very rare and when yeah. you and when you're in an area that has a lot of diversity where you have a bunch of different age types a really age structure of edges in one area man you can find a lot of good deer so that's awesome that that was kind of a factor for you on this now let me ask since you've only hunted like you said i think you said only eight sits or eight times eight
2: eight sits man (laughs)
0: listen i'm liking this ratio though it's pretty freaking good um was the diversity something else that you focused on in any of those other eight sits? Uh, did you go into a spot and like, hey, I want to try to find someplace really diverse and, uh, you know, see any deer, kind of see any success kind of going into one of those areas? Uh, well, I, yeah,
2: I kind of focused on that, but I I didn't really have much success. I mean, I had success on my cameras catching catching deer in there, but I mean, I never ran. I didn't have any luck seeing any of them, which is pretty crazy because I mainly focused on WMA on edges like that and I had two cameras on the WMA and I had a probably a 10 that was going to 140s and a three-year-old 10 that's pushing 140 and I had two cameras running over there and I basically just focused on diversity, focus on the edges and just kind of found the wanted to find the most diversity and I mean they wasn't really isolated to tell you the truth. They were, I mean, it wasn't really far away from the road on some of these occasions that I was getting these pictures and I, I mean, I couldn't believe it
0: mm-hmm well one one thing that i think josh talks about um and i've just had personal conversations with him is sometimes that isolation doesn't have to be two miles from the truck sometimes it's just it's isolated away from you know danger and pressure uh there's a place they feel safe whether it's you know right behind the you know the parking lot uh, on the local piece of public land or if it's you know two and a half miles back so
2: oh yeah that, i know that for a fact i had one of my cameras probably 300 yards from where everybody parked and i found the buck's bed probably 150 yards from the parking area. It, mm-hmm. it was crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's kind of dive into this hunt, Luke. I, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of hear about this and kind of how everything played out, but really kind of break down the area that you, you know, shot this buck in. What caused you want to want to go in there and kind of what was your, your kind of game plan mindset for this hunt?
2: Well, uh, we had the buck on camera earlier in the season and uh, there's, four or five guys in the hunting lease or whatever and they all had him on camera and of course when season came in which the reason i didn't get to go hunting much this year is because i'm renovating my house and we just had a baby she's six months old now so that kind of put a damper on my uh, hunting season but they were all getting pictures of this deer and as soon as hunting season came in they put so much pressure on him that we basically disappeared we never saw him again for probably two months and then uh the guy that lives across the street from me he's in the hunting lease with me and he told me he was starting to get pictures of him probably a month ago every night at like nine o'clock and i asked him where he had his camera out at so he told me and uh i started looking at aerials and i'm like well we got three thickets that surround our property and there's two or three areas that have two or three different edges coming together with all this diversity that we need and uh he was telling me he had a camera up here next to one of them and he was getting pictures of it in the middle of the night so i'm like well let me go try out the two other thickets that are surrounding the property so i put a camera out for about a week and a half with some corn and i never got a picture of anything so i decided to take that camera out and actually me my wife and the baby decided to walk in there one day and put out the camera in the second spot and i wanted to go check it out and we put the camera in there and i checked it i think Saturday before I killed that deer and there was probably a hundred inch eight pointer on there and I wasn't real excited about it. And then I put the camera back out and uh, I think it was that Wednesdays when I killed that deer and I told my wife, I wanted to go check the camera and I was going to go hunting while I was in there. So I put my camera on my, or my, uh, my deer stand on my bag and carry all my gear in there. got a bag of corn I'll throw out from the camera and I, get over there and I climb 50 foot up a tree. It's on four different edges. Like I was saying, our property just got thin last year. It's like probably 30 year old pines and they thinned it again. And then the neighboring property has some probably like 20 year old pines that's been thin. And then there's a thicket with like six year old pines. And then there's the next door neighbors, like basically hardwoods and real wide open pines. So there's four different types of uh edges all coming together right there so i got on our side about 75 80 yards from the line and i climbed up about 50 50 foot up a tree and sat there and i i think it was pretty close to five o'clock and i rattled and hit the snort wheeze and i didn't didn't see anything and uh i text my wife and asked her how her and the baby were doing and she'd text me back and it was getting about time to rattle and snort wheeze again because I was trying to do it about every 20 or 30 minutes so I rattled and uh, snort wheezed again and sat there about probably a minute and I didn't see anything so I grabbed my phone about to text her back and all of a sudden sudden I heard footsteps and I was like that's I mean that sounds like a deer and I turned I was like oh my god
0: So you, you're saying you were uh, rattling and snort wheezing. Um, now, if you're 50 feet up a tree, you know, I mean, clearly you're in a climber you're going up that high. So oh, yeah. So you're 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 super high up a big pine tree, kind of like out looking over all these different edges. You're rattling, your snort wheezing. You're doing that. You said every 20 minutes or so.
2: Around 20 to 30. I think it's more like 30, probably.
0: Okay. Now, before this hunt, I mean, have you always? Is that something that you've implemented? you know throughout the seasons like you know in the past is that something that's been new that you started trying to do you know how long have you been kind of doing that style of calling
2: well i every year for the past like six or eight years i've been grunting probably every 15 to 20 minutes while i was in the stand but i've never rattled i think i rattled one time when i was like 15 14 or 15 years old back in whenever i was real young hunting but i never really tried it every time i sat in the tree like tim knight does and he Whenever I watched that episode, he gave me the idea to try that. I mean, I think it works. I mean, he that deer came in there for some reason. I think I, he, he was coming in there to see what was making all that noise.
0: Now, let me ask okay, so you're in this area, it's high diversity. Uh, you got really four different edge types kind of coming together in this one area. You're hopping tree, you're rattling, you're snort wheezing, kind of doing the whole shebang up there. When he comes in, when you see him, what's his body language like?
2: He didn't really look, the last deer, the last big deer I killed, he, I had the grunt call and he came in with his
0: hair all bristled
2: up. He was ready to fight, but this deer, he just came in. I mean, he didn't really, he didn't have that same body language as that other deer, but I I mean, that's why I was kind of wondering if he actually came into that. But I I mean, he came in a minute after I did it, so that's why I kind of think he did come into it, just just to check.
0: Yeah. And also just maybe the curiosity factor. Yeah. Uh, Cause where you're at in, in the state kind of when is normally y'all's like rut time span?
2: Usually middle to late October around, I mean, sometimes the first of November, but I mean, honestly, the deer got killed last week that was chasing those, So we have, our rut's kind of weird sometimes. They brought so many deer back in here back in the day that we have like a rut that lasts a really long time. It's real we have a real i mean the main rut is around like end of october november but then i mean I, they chase does i swear the whole season around here
0: mm-hmm. well that's that's very relatable to the different parts of the uh, the southeast i know alabama's like that uh, in different areas as well just especially when you have so many does they don't all get bred but also like you know you'll, you'll be in an area like a small river and one side of the river you know they, they rut in early December and the other side of the river they're they're in late December going into January and literally those deer are you know half a mile from each other to a mile from each other um so it's it is crazy so all right so let's kind of get back to this buck Luke so this buck comes in he comes up from behind you is he coming in with like like a wind advantage is he like walking into the wind when he's coming to like check out this noise no he's
2: actually got the wind to his back because I would I looked on the aerials and about two or three hundred yards on the other property, there was a uh, incline, like there was a high point, and yeah. I'm like, and right behind me was a river, and it, it kind of looked, but I couldn't, re- I didn't want to, I mean, it was on the other guy's property, so I couldn't walk over there and look. But I think he was bedding over there because, I mean, the ridge got kind of like steep over there to my, I mean, where I was sitting at, he came in from my left, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looked like the ridge got kind of steep over there, and I was thinking it was possible bedding area, but I mean I wasn't positive, and I couldn't walk over there and confirm. But I mean that's the direction he came from, and I mean I had an east wind that day, so it actually worked out perfect. But he had the wind in his back, actually walking towards me.
0: Mm. All right. So you see this buck, um, and by the way, so Georgia, y'all season is it just now going out, or is it still in for a couple more like a couple more weeks or so?
2: It goes out Sunday.
0: It goes out Sunday. Okay, got you. Yeah. Because I, I know, yeah, every, all the states, man, being the southeast, i talked to so many different guys. Like, Tennessee's done. Alabama, we're wide open until February 10th. Mississippi's pretty much the same, but there's so many different states that just is so different. And uh, I know Florida goes super long in different zones. But, all right, so it goes out Sunday. So this buck comes in, kind of what's going through your head? How, how do you kind of execute the shot? Kind of like just kind of walk us through that whole, the whole process.
2: Well, as soon as I see him, I I mean, I know exactly what Bucket is because all the guys in the club have shown me all the pictures of him. And I'm like, I can't believe this deer's like right here, right now. (laughs) This is crazy. And uh, he comes walking up through there and he goes through like two or three openings and I couldn't – I was hoping he might stop in one of them. But, I mean, most time bucks don't stop unless you make them stop. So I was looking at the last opening I could get a shot in and he starts to come out in it and I grunted at him with my mouth and he stopped. And look towards my direction. And that's when I shot him. And he ran probably 60 or 70 yards and he went into pine thicket. And I didn't know. I mean, I could tell he, he failed in there because I didn't hear him run off anymore. But I mean, he probably, I couldn't believe he went as far as he did where I shot him. But he only went about 60 or 70 yards. But it was still a pretty crazy experience.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing I'm I'm very curious about with this area, you said that. Well, first off, how many guys are in y'all's lease?
2: I think there's eight of us.
0: So there's eight of y'all. How many How many acres are we talking here on this lease?
2: Around 300.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. So there's per acre, you know, it's a pretty nice amount of, I mean, a decent, you know, amount of guys kind of hunting a property like that. So with all these guys kind of going after this deer kind of early in the season, put some pressure on them. Where you finally killed him at, was it? How, how did that relate, that area relate to where like some of that hunting pressure was coming from, uh, you know, from your guys?
2: Uh, I mean, it, they were actually getting pictures of him at the other side of the property and they would get a random daylight picture of him every once in a while and mainly night pictures. So I I wasn't sure if he was actually living in that area. He
0: very well could have been back
2: there on the, where I killed him at the whole entire time. He just quit going up there to the front side of the property when they put all that pressure on him.
0: And see that's exactly what I was wondering. And again, you never know. You can't really ask the deer, uh, you know, what was going through his mind plus he's dead right now and hopefully probably going on the wall if I had to guess deer looking like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm planning on it. That's right. Well, um, so that's dude. That is freaking awesome. So you played it out. You were able to get this buck. Now I've got to ask, what's the reaction from the guys in the in the in the lease when you when you knocked that deer down? I mean, it's, it's got to be. I would say at least some mixed feelings, especially if guys had some photos of that deer early on. They're Like, man, I thought I was going to get that opportunity, but oh yeah,
2: I mean, I could, They were happy for me, but you could tell that they were. I mean, they might have been a little upset as they wanted to kill it, but they were still happy for me that somebody on our lease killed it. That's the way I am. If somebody on our lease kills it, I'm way more than excited if I find out a guy on another property killed it.
0: Oh, exactly, and especially when you can kind of lay odds on that deer in person and, and really yeah. kind of see, you know, what's what's possible uh, for the area. Um, so that that's fantastic. Well, let me ask, uh, from kind of what's this changed over the last, like, four months or so, kind of listening to the show and kind of going out and kind of seeing how – you know, diversity and, you know, the call and just how different things can kind of really play to your advantage, especially when you come out here and you're not just a, uh, I'm not going to say a basic deer hunter, but, you know, there are guys, uh, I've got family members like this that literally, they just want to go sit on a corn pile uh, if if it's legal where they're hunting at, or they're going to go sit on a the field. they're going to go sit in some wide open hardwood bottom, especially talking with a rifle here. You know how has like this whole experience changed you, and kind of what you're going to be doing going into the future? On again, how to recapitalize on something like this?
2: Uh, mainly, I'm just going to study a lot of a lot of aerials and uh, do a lot of leg work. I mean, I'd basically quit scouting. It was like I, I mean, I was like a lot of these guys. I'd put a corn pile out in the camera and I'd hope a deer would come by my camera and i'm like and one of these guys i can't remember who it was on y'all's podcast said you're supposed to find the deer with the camera you're not supposed to put a camera out and let the deer find your camera and i'm like ever since those cameras came out that's that's basically what i've been doing so i'm definitely not going to be doing that anymore and i I mean this year i probably went scouting 20 or 30 times and i only went hunting eight times so i'm planning on doing a lot more scouting and a lot less sitting i mean i want to do something to reduce my seat time in the deer stand, because I'm probably not going to have that much with a, a new kid and all, so that's going to be my main plan.
0: Well, excellent, and actually, so that was Josh Driver that talked about that as well in that same episode, where, uh, you know, he, he uses cameras to go find the deer, he doesn't want that, he, he's not putting a camera out hoping a buck finds his camera, he's going out finding the buck, throwing cameras out to confirm that it's there in that area, um, and that's a very I guess you could look at it. It's a very smart way to look at that. Um, And again, you know, have your cameras working for you instead of just, you know, hanging one up and hoping a buck walks by, Uh, you know, kind of putting the boots on the ground. And it seems like you did that, man, especially on the wildlife management area. There's a piece of public land going in and finding a buck's bed as well. And going in and hanging cameras and, you know, find two nice bucks. I mean, dude, that's fantastic. So definitely you're applying everything and everything sounds like it's really rocking and rolling for you. So uh, I've, I've got to ask, and we'll kind of wrap it up in just a little bit. Are you gonna be able to get out and hunt before the end of the season comes?
2: Well, I might be able to. I got one spot I want to go hunting, but I got to have an east wind, and today was the only east wind that we had, and I didn't get a chance to go out there. But I found a spot on WMA that is on the top of a ridge. It's kind of three ridges that come together, and it's got three be- I found three beds on it, and I found a huge track walking down the trail the other day after rain when i was in there walking around i want to go in there and set up on that bed but i gotta have an east wind for it and i don't know if i'm gonna have one between now and in the season mm-hmm. but well, i mean i think it might be that that three-year-old 10 that i was telling you about i think it might be him and he needs another
0: year on him Mhm. Well, dude, that that's awesome. Again, hopefully, maybe you get the opportunity to get out there and get back after. It. If not, at least you got a lot of stuff to kind of focus on for the off season, kind of going into next year. Let Let me ask. I know you know having a you know a, a young kid now at the house, a newborn, and everything else, kind of going remodeling the house and everything else. Um, what or what's kind of like maybe your goal for next year? I know we're kind of way out, but you know it's twenty twenty one. Um, you know, second season goes out. I don't know if you're a big turkey hunter, but I know a lot of guys kind of start dreaming about you know the next season. Do you have any goals already kind of lined up and kind of what you're going to try to focus on and apply for come next year? I'm uh,
2: mainly the same things I applied this year. I'm just going to look for try to locate some core core areas with the diversity and food sources and isolation and all that, and go put some cameras in there and see what's in there and see if I can't see if I can't get on them.
0: Well, awesome. Well, Luke, let me ask the very last thing I'll ask you, and then uh, we will wrap this up, dude. Um, what piece of advice would you give uh, to the, say there's a new listener listening? Maybe there's a guy just now, you know, maybe this is the first episode or second episode he or she's ever listened to. Um You know, what would you recommend for them, especially when it comes to listening to the podcast uh, and kind of going down the rabbit hole? Because there's so much different content that comes at you, so many different tips, some tips and tactics from different guys. Uh, contradict what the other one said on different episodes. That happens all the time c- because guys do whatever helps them be successful, whether someone's a feed tree hunter, someone's hunting beds, uh, or some guy just likes hunting transition areas. Um, what piece of advice would you give listeners to keep from getting distracted and maybe um, the best way to say it is just getting getting overwhelmed with everything that's kind of coming at them when they listen to, you know, a bunch of different episodes?
2: Uh, I guess it would just be like uh, try to find something that, applies to them and they understand and just go after it and try it out. I mean, and if it doesn't work, try to find something else that works. I mean, don't be scared to try something new. Cause I mean, I tried all kind of different stuff this year and I mean, it paid off. I, at least I think it did. So, uh, that's about all. I, I mean, that's about all I did is just, I try to i mean like i said i listen to 40 or 50 podcasts and i kind of just went through them and found ones that i feel like would apply to this area that i hunt in and they applied like I, I understood how they were doing it, and i tried it and it worked so that'd be my advice to anybody
0: excellent all right well luke man congratulations on a just a big freaking georgia buck um personal best and again dude just thank you again for coming on the show sharing just kind of your experience and uh you have a, a blessed rest of the week
1: to be. If you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the Southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about